welcome to another episode of Carlton Monarchy. I'm really excited about today's episode as we've got our first episode on the Vikings. So today we have for you the lovely Neil Price to talk to us about his book, Children of Ashen Elm, A History of the Vikings. So Neil holds the Chair of Archaeology at Uppsala University in Sweden, and he's also been appointed Distinguished Professor by the Swedish Research Council. So Neil is basically the person to go to if you want to know anything about Viking history, and he even won an award in 2017 for his massive contribution to the field. Basically, he's a bit of a legend and we're very excited to talk to him today. If you can summarise your book in 30 seconds. Okay, I'm an archaeologist. I specialise in the Viking Age and particularly the pre-Christian religion of that time. That's something I've been working on for about 30 years and uh, in the last few months I've just published this new book, Children of Ash and Elm, A History of the Vikings, which hopefully does what it says on the tin and is a, a synthesis of, of the Viking Age. I'm very excited to be diving into this. I think the Vikings are fascinating, so you I'm actually quite envious that you've got a really good topic to be researching. I really want to know, as you just said, the book is called The Children of Ash and Elm. So could you enlighten us a bit more on that phrase? Because I think it's actually quite wonderful. Um, but where did it come from? Is this related to Vikings or, you know, just a bit more on it? Yeah, it's it's very much related to Vikings. Um, it was kind of reaction against all the other books on Vikings, which, I mean, I've, I've written some of these, so I, it's not a criticism, but they're all called The Vikings. Or, or the Viking this or the Viking that. And I wanted to try and write more from the perspective of the Vikings themselves. Who were they? Who did they think that they were? And Ash and Elm are the first human couple in Norse mythology. So kind of like a, a, a in Christian terms, say like a, a Viking Adam and Eve. And they're made from pieces of wood that wash up on the shore of the world ocean, uh, a piece of ash wood and a piece of elm wood. And uh, although it, it has a it has the V word in the subtitle, I wanted a book that was right from the very title about them. So who did they believe themselves to be the children of ash and the children of, of elm? So that's where it comes from. That's really interesting. So they, so that's kind of what they believed that they came from, ash and like wood in a way. Is that how they believed that they were? Yeah, it's. I mean, everything to do with Norse mythology ought to be subtitled. It's complicated, really, because the the sources are, are not very reliable. There's not very many of them. It's hard to say how much of this really, really goes back to to what people at the time believed, or how much it's been changed and altered over the centuries since. But as far as we know, that's that's how they saw the, the the origins of humanity so it seemed like a good metaphor to use to to start the book yeah i think it's one and it's quite poetic in a way as well yeah i like it too yeah so. very <laughs> um so for me i find this quite interesting as we i think typically and stereotypically we know the viking kind of era to be very male dominated but what can you tell us about viking women um in your work you talk about valkyries I'd love to know a bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, the the, the Viking stereotype is very much, uh, it's, well, it's, it's maritime, it's violent, and as you say, it's it's male. I think there is also a kind of a female stereotype as well of the sort of okay. uniquely independent Viking woman, and I and I, I don't think there is any typical Viking woman any more than there was a typical Viking man. So I think that variety of, of, of human life is something to really recapture. And I, I think above all, we need to 
allow the Vikings to be themselves, not who we want them to be, for better mm. or worse. And one of the things I think any Viking scholar has to wrestle with is that they're among the, the most used and abused cultures of the ancient world. So many people have had something to say about Vikings, whether it's the Victorians or the Nazis or Wagner or whatever. And we have to try and get back to, to a, a real Viking age behind that. And if we look at the role of women in society, at one level, I, I mean, there are there are women who are enslaved and there are women who are queens and all points in between, of, of course. But there's certainly areas of society in which women have a great deal of power. Um, ritual and religion is one of them. Uh, women are, are some of the main uh, sort of organizers of Norse religion. Um, they're they're the, the people through whom you, you contact the other world. Um, and it's kind of hard to find terms for this. You know, I want to avoid things like priestess or whatever because it has mm. other connotations. But, but certainly, um, powerful role in in mediating between the world of humans and the world of everything else. And and also that we know that um, women are in charge of the running of estates, of of the the management of the farm and the household economy. This is really important. So I mean, lots of interesting things there. And and then actually the 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 most spectacular, the richest Viking burial that has ever been found is, is the grave of two women at Ulsebae in, in Norway, um, oh, wow. one of whom may be a queen, we, we don't know, but certainly very, very high status. So you asked about the Valkyries, they're, they're, um, they're also one of the, they're, they're kind of the celebrities of Norse mythology, you know, everyone's heard of the Valkyries and they're in Marvel movies and they're in opera and what have you, but um, they're, they're really kind of supernatural servants of the god Odin, the war god, or one of the war gods. Um, and their name means the choosers of the slain. So their job is to choose dead warriors, the best of the dead warriors on the battlefield, and then bring them to Odin and maybe to Freya, the, go uh, the goddess, uh, in the afterlife. And uh, there's, in poetry and, and sort of later drama and, and fiction, the Valkyries have become these kinds of beautiful warrior women. And I think the the Viking Age Valkyries are, are rather different. I think they're more like demons of carnage. They're pretty scary things. Oh. And, and we know lots of their names. Um, and their names all mean things to do with battle. And some of them are very graphic, like sort of shield scraper and uh, sort of helmet noise and uh, very specific yeah, yeah very specific <laughs> but also things that they they embody what fighting is on an early medieval battlefield so there's there's a number of them whose names mean something to do with hesitation a kind of fatal block uh, a sort of mental fog um or things to do with losing your concentration and a lot of their names have just to do with noise just just lots and lots of noise now uh, you can really sort of visualize a, a Viking Age battle through the Valkyries names because the Valkyries are the people who are there and partly mm. causing it. So they're really quite interesting though deeply scary creatures. God they really sound it. But it's sound nice to hear about some um some scary kind of what you typically think of as feminine figures that obviously we said about yeah. the Viking world very male. It's nice to see some scary women popping out. <laughs> you mentioned um just start about like kind of stereotypes and how everyone throughout history have had a little kind of saying on the vikings and i'd just love to know about just your personal opinion i wonder if we we'll, might get onto it if we do 
when we ask you some personal questions don't answer us now but what do you think of the Vikings series how do you think as a scholar of the Vikings does that depict how you envision the Vikings have they done it to a popular term um kind of so it's more for entertainment or have they actually kind of kept to how the Vikings are that you would imagine it when you're researching well I said I have some connections with that series um oh. not with the actual drama itself but with um a series of documentaries that they made connected to it um, and the idea was that uh, the idea is that basically you wouldn't change the channel after you've watched an episode. So they made a series of documentaries where academics uh, worked with the actors to talk about their characters or the scenes or places and so on. So I'm not connected with the drama series itself, mm. but kind of the periphery of it. And I've met the people involved and so oh, on. Wow. So just just so you know. But I, I think it's fair to say that some some Viking specialists are really dismissive of it, but I think more because it's popular culture at all, um, the idea of sort of engaging with that as some kind of professionally compromising vulgarity, which I, I do not agree with. My take on it is that more people come into contact with the Vikings through that series than through anything yeah. that the rest of us will ever do. Yeah. And it's imperative to engage with it. It's important when we're doing any kind of consultancy or anything like that, it's important to be clear about what you're doing. I mean, it is an entertainment. It's made mm. for profit. And they, and they shouldn't apologize for that. That's that's what it is. Yeah. It's not, it's not yeah. a documentary. It's not a no. museum exhibition or something. I think when people talk about that series to, or, or things like it, Viking movies and so on, they, they, they tend to focus on accuracy. And first, without really defining what they mean by that, because it's not quite clear actually um and certainly you can look at say bits of what archaeologists call the material culture so you know look at people's belt buckles or brooches or whatever and say oh that's wrong or that's 50 yeah. years out whatever and <laughs> yeah, yeah it is sometimes some of it is very good some of it is yeah. not good I, i'm not really that bothered by that maybe that's a worrying thing to say but it they look okay but some people um, really like to get nitpicky over those little details. Like I've seen yeah, like Bridgerton lately. It's with every historical thing. I guess it's much more difficult in a Viking sense as well because there is a more limited source material. Would you agree? Yes, I would. And I, I also think that we tend to um, we focus on say the the things from spe some spectacular graves and then decide that that's what yeah. everybody looked like. And it wasn't like mm. they wore a uniform. I mean, people wear all kinds of things. Um, and I what I like about the Viking series is that it depicts a living world. If you go back to like, I don't know, Roman movies from the 50s or 60s, they can be spectacular and fun and so on, but they still kind of look like people dressed up. Yeah. <laughs> and what, what a lot of historical dramas now have succeeded in doing, and I think Vikings succeeds very well, is they look like people who are living in their own present. Yeah. And they kind of don't know they're the Vikings, they're just them. Um, yeah. And yeah. I, I like that. And they also managed to get in some bits of current research in a very sort of subtle way they don't have lots of exposition so someone says you know what is that thing and they says, let me tell you you know it doesn't work like that it's, it's just sort of it just sort of happens in the course Smacks of the, you in the face with a fact yeah yeah and I I, I like that so I'm yeah. I think I'm a bit more worried about the history aspect of it the 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 historical sort of trajectory of it is, is yeah. not, it, it just okay. isn't really the Viking Age um but then again, I think one needs to consider the practicalities of, of when when Michael Hurst is writing season one, he doesn't know there's going to be a season six. Mm. 
um, and and these things are organic. They they you know they adapt to circumstances, and and it was yeah. a massive success. So now they want three more series, you know, kind of thing. And <laughs> and, it, and and you know, there's a practical aspect to it. So I, I think take it with a pinch of salt. Um, but great. I think as 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 a depiction of a real Viking world that takes them seriously on their own terms, I think it's 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 really successful. Well, there we go. It's from a professional Viking historian, everyone. <laughs> but, but not one that everyone would agree with, I have to say. But, but that's history. Talk to some it? of my colleagues, well, they'd hate yeah, it. You know? Exactly. <laughs> so, Neil, at the moment, well, in kind of pre-COVID times, I worked in a secondary school and I was working with this fabulous year seven class and they were learning about the Viking Age in um, the kind of learning about Harald Hadrada and uh, Battle of Stamford Bridge. And they think the Vikings sound awesome. However, Viking, <laughs> yeah, they love it. Like the Viking age gets done very quickly in schools is what I would say. So this kind of gets rammed into like a couple of weeks. Um, they get told, this was a battle that happened. This is a battle that happened. This is a battle that happened. Stamford Bridge, bam, Viking age over. William comes in, end of story. Then there's so much more to it. What can you, if you were kind of talking to a class at the moment, trying to tell them about the Viking age and, what there how much more there was to it than just there's these three figures there's these three battles and it's done what would you say i think what i say about any period of, of history is to remember that the people living it were just living their lives yeah and and even though like in our in our times we have kind of big watersheds of events i guess 9 11 would be something like that yeah in the end it's still not now we are now in the new age you know it, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't work like that nobody woke up and thought it's the viking age tomorrow you know um, the tv where they just go cut <laughs> yeah and and i think there is a tendency to view all history in this kings and battles way which i i don't think is very helpful uh i would say for the end of the viking age um it, it's something and the beginning for that matter it's something that begins and ends at different speeds in different places in different ways just like our world but at the same time there is a reason why we've kind of invented this artificial period of time and called it the viking age because yeah. in those 300 years it's roughly about 750 to 1050 something like that yeah there really are transformations in the northern world huge things going on and they are fundamentally different to what comes before that and what comes after it. There's a reason for, for looking at, at the, the world of the Scandinavians in those 300 years and thinking this is something special. Yeah. The, the bottom line of it really is that for a whole variety of reasons, the Scandinavian peoples head out into the world on a scale that has never been seen before. Yeah. Um, in the end, they get from the, the, the Eastern American seaboard to the Asian steppe, possibly yeah. even wow. as far as the edges of China. I mean, they, they, they go a very, very long way and nobody else yeah. at that time is doing that. And, you know, there's a reason for this. So that's what I'd say. It's, it's, um, it, it's hard to summarise, but it's, it's complicated and it's big. Do you think that's part of the reason why they were seen as so kind of scary and savage? Because they were so well-travelled. They'd seen places that, they'd seen maybe things in places they'd gone around, they'd seen things that other people hadn't maybe. So that when they invaded places, they thought, wow, these are like otherworldly figures that have seen and done so much with their big, scary boats and their big, scary <laughs> weapons. What I, do you I think, think that fed into it? I, I think that they were certainly seen as different, mainly because mm. of their religion. 
the the people around them were mostly right. Christians. Um, they also moved into the the Islamic world as well. Yeah. Um, so they're people who have a fundamentally different view of the world from most of those they come into contact with, and that, yeah. that can be you know alienating and up to a point. But I I think the key there is that um, when when we think about the Vikings, I think about your 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 school kids. The, the Vikings that we we hear about, that we're told about, are above all the raiders. You know, the people that burn down monasteries and chase the clergy and you know frighten the English and things. But but, <laughs> but actually, most people in the Viking Age they stayed at home and they never went anywhere and they never did any harm to anyone. Yeah, uh, the, the, the Vikings are are uh, it, well for a start, it's not what's called an ethnonym. It's not the name of people yeah. we call them that. If yeah. if you if we could get in a time machine and say, yeah, how long have you been a Viking? They'd say, what? what? Uh, they, uh -huh. they, they have, you know, it's just not a term they'd recognize. Yeah. So I, I think that some of the Vikings were scary, um, yeah. but not all of them. And I think that we also, again, have to think about this, those 300 years, even though it's a relatively short period in historical terms, it's still quite a long time in terms of life, mm. especially if you live to 40. Um, that, that's a lot of lives yeah. and it's happening slowly over a vast area so I think that the I, I'd emphasize difference rather than scariness. Yeah. yeah and would you say that the kind of Norse mythology to kind of take it down a different angle as well how would you say that Norse mythology kind of fed into their everyday life and how they lived you said they weren't scary they just stayed at home they weren't constantly going out looking for a fight what would you how would you say that the the culture was was different I, I think it it that is the I, I should say just just to be clear my, one of my special fields is this idea of this this sort of northern mind this viking mind this this, this sort of worldview and linked yeah. to their spirituality and religion and I think that is the main thing that 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 was distinctive about them I think they saw the world in a fundamentally different way to the people around them right. um, and I I I, I know I've used it a few times in, in our conversation, but I, I don't think the world religion is very helpful for the Vikings because for us, it conjures up something fairly orthodox where you, yeah. you have a, a holy book and holy yeah. men and women to interpret it for you and buildings you go in to do that. And yeah. and there's nothing like that in the, in the Viking Age. It's an organic world of stories that they kind of live through and live in. And it's a yeah. whole series of personal relationships, not just with the gods, you know, the famous ones of Odin, and Thor, <laughs> yeah. but but also the, with the elves that live behind your house and the and the things that live in the stream and and the spirits of the rock and all all of this. And I think that uh, that idea of sharing their world with a whole bunch of invisible folk, yeah, that is the is the sort of central part of their experience. So um, it's also when, when we talk about the supernatural. I, I don't think these things are supernatural at all. They're natural. They're just they're just a different part of the yeah. natural world. Um, you know, you've got birds and, and deer and elves. And I really think that's how it's perceived. And, and I, I think the last thing there is that you asked about Norse mythology. Yeah. And that's also something that we've created because the Norse didn't know they had Norse myths. We've made them. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, right. you can go to a bookshop and buy, you know, the, the yeah. Norse myths, but they couldn't yeah. do that. They're just stories. And yeah. like any other stories, they change and it depends who tells them to you. And, yeah. and, and there's a new version because that traveler comes from over the mountains and, oh, I've heard that one before. And, and yeah, there's these kind of regional variations of it. Was it often passed down through families then or through regions? Was what was more. I, well, we don't know, but I, I, th I think that there is this kind of who you are is, is sort of 
partly dependent on what you've heard and so on and it's yeah I, I, yeah I, I think that's this what i what i focus on is this idea of an organic world of tales yeah. coming from wherever and i and i think it was open to change um i think i see in that sense i think it's quite a tolerant world actually there's mm. there's, there's there is very little kind of rigidity you're not allowed to think that there's no there's none of that yeah. Um, it's there's a receptiveness to new ideas which partly comes through meeting people and that's that's something which is rather different to the viking stereotype um, and i think it's important yeah. that that this sort of moving out into the world not only happens at the same time as other people are moving to scandinavia it's also not only through raiding and armies and so on it's it's settlement and trade and just movement and interaction it's yeah. it's it's a complicated well but lots of feedback in it so yeah they sound like such a wholesome lovely kind of community yeah, they no, they're psychos them. I, I, I almost I, don't I, want to tell this group of 11 year olds they're like yeah we want to recreate a viking battle and build a boat and build the weapons and oh they're so cool no i don't do that i i i think that uh some people have this vision of, of pre-Christian religion as being this sort of nature worshipping kind of sort of tree hugging yeah. thing. And, yeah. and and what I say to that is, yes, they did have sacred groves in, in which they yeah. ritually murdered people and animals. You know, they're, they're, it's it's not yeah. all wholesome and so on, not at <laughs> no. all. Yeah. As you do. Well, like, as you do, yeah. yeah. As you do, yeah. Um, <laughs> but the, 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 the stereotype of the Vikings, the raiding and so on, that is very real. It's yeah. just there's lots of other things as well. Yeah. Um, I, I think the Vi there was a, a, a Viking scholar, uh, this is like 40 years ago, who was asked to um, kind of sum up his view of the, the Vikings, and he paraphrased that description of Lord Byron by Lady Caroline Lamb. He said that um, in the long run, while the, the Vikings uh, may not have been mad, they were probably bad and certainly <laughs> dangerous to know. Uh, I think that's, that's right. Fair enough. I really like that assessment of them. <laughs> so one thing, I mean, you have to bear with my, as I, I'm pretty sure I say this every single episode, you have to bear with my pronunciation here because I just can't get my head around a lot of these Norse words. But you dedicate your book to the Feiger? The Filger, yeah. Filger. <laughs> Almost, I was close there. Was close. Yeah, you did well. <laughs> <laughs> why, so what, do you want to explain to our listeners what they are and why you decided to dedicate your book to it? Um, the... It comes down to how the, the Vikings saw the nature of a human being, and, and mm. every human has four parts. Um, so we talk about, yeah. um, depending on your religious views, I mean, we talk about, say, the soul, you know, uh -huh. sort of lots of, sort of abstract concepts, but the Vikings had lots of different bits of themselves. They, they have right. a, a container, like a shell, it's basically a body <laughs> that, in which all the others fit. Yeah. Um, and one of these things inside everybody is a filja, and the word means follower. And okay. it's it's a female spirit, like a kind of guardian, kind of like a guardian angel, if you like, yeah. a, sort of, a sort of protective spirit. And she is connected to the individual, but also connected to a family. So you can inherit these beings. And, right. and she's kind of like the your protective ancestor. Um, so it's someone who's okay. personal to you and also to your family. And the thing I like about it is the filter of female, even for men. So you think about the big scary Vikings yeah. and so on, but every Viking man has this spirit woman inside him. Uh, awesome. Women diverse. really do run the world. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I, uh, I, I like, I, I think the filger are interesting and it's, uh, yeah. um, 
that, no, that's you, you can read that dedication how you want, really. Yeah. Um, no, I, that's what I, mean. I liked it because it was so broad. And when I when I googled the word, many different things like popped up. So I wanted to get kind of uh, established opinion on it. They can <laughs> so turn into animals as well, the filter. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, yeah. It's and you, you see them in why? dreams. Yeah. I thought of um, oh, what have I just been watching? His Dark Materials, uh, the book mm. they adapted into a TV series, and they um, like had the demons. demons. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it made me think, oh, did they, is that where like that came from? They had demons. Oh, that's cool. So what got you into history, Neil? What got you into, this is amazing, like, hearing about the Vikings and their lifestyle and the Norse mind, but what was sparked your interest in that? This is kind of a boring answer, probably. Probably the same yeah. thing as most other archaeologists or historians. Just, I can't really remember a time when I wasn't interested in it. It's kind of like a family background. And yeah. when I was a kid, I'd drag my parents around museums and ancient monuments and things. But but that's the kind of thing they like to do anyway. Usually the other way around, parents dragging their kids to museums. And, uh, I like the idea of you being a little kid who just knew you loved history. Like, <laughs> and, then, and then TV here. shows and yeah. uh, reading, yeah. things like that. So it's just, it's sort of just continued, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the passion. Well, it continued to get you to where you are now. So, how did you obviously start from a kid who was dragging their parents around to all these amazing places to uh, establish historian, author, archaeologist, everything else? Um, I, I, I guess also a little bit like most other people, a, a whole series of kind of haphazard decisions and and luck and and work. Luck. But it, I think the key thing is when I was a uh, when I was a teenager, when I was starting to sort of seriously think about what I wanted to do, um, and I was fascinated by archaeology, but it was always something that, bear in mind, this is, this is the what, early 80s now, so about mm -hmm. 1980 or so. Okay. Um, archaeology was something that people did on TV, and mm. I didn't know yeah. any archaeologists, and it was a bit like wanting to be an astronaut or something. You think, yeah, yeah. okay, but it actually, I'll have to do something else. And I had a sort of, I don't know what to call it really, but I I, I just, there wasn't anything that particularly set it off but it suddenly occurred to me that actually somebody must do that yeah I mean, somebody must actually organize their lives so it ends up with them digging or whatever <laughs> and then I just started to make inquiries as to well how do I do that how can I do that yeah yeah um and that's when I decided to then I, I worked for a museum and started escorting and then I got a degrees and and so on but um a lot of it is luck uh, yeah. a lot of it is work um, yeah. and I think also I mean I'm a you know I'm now an established professor at a university and so on and I, I think it's very important to recognize the, the privilege of that whole process because um, the, the luck and the work doesn't work out for everybody um, yeah so few jobs and it's yeah. you know so I, it can I, feel a little bit daunting, I think, especially like to young scholars to look at people and think, wow, how have you got there? So that's why I, it's, it's why, why we ask this question, because we yes. like to hear people and authors do often say, yes, it's, it's a lot of hard work. It's a little bit yeah. of luck. It's being in the right place at the right time. It's messaging the right person. It's just taking those opportunities that come to you. But it's nice to see you kind of inspirations. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think actually one of the I think the biggest failings in your university management is how many people in senior positions seem to have forgotten what it feels like to really really need a job mm -hmm. yeah and not only in terms of like paying your bills and so on but also yeah. self-esteem and if you've, you've come through a degree or, or several degrees mm. and think you know the you know the early hours of the morning you think have I made a really 
yeah. uh, set of decisions here and <laughs> what am I doing with my life? And, and, you know, it's, it's, I, I, it's, yeah, it's, it's really important to remember that. And, and also that the paths that get anybody, you know, me or anyone else to where they are, those paths change. I mean, there's no yeah. point in me giving people advice on, you know, well, what I did in 1983, because it's pretty <laughs> useless in 2021. Um, and I, and there are whole new media, there's whole new platforms for things. Yeah. I, I think flexibility is probably more important than anything else at mm, the moment, yeah. because the yeah. idea of a, of a permanent career path that you sort of set in motion and, and see as a series of stepping stones to something doesn't really exist anymore. No. No, 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 that's a really good point, actually. So, no, I think of my, my mum used to, when I'm trying to get a job, and it's the same. My mum's kind of, she thinks you can just walk around to shops with your CVs and just walk into a business and go, hi, hire me, I've got a degree. <laughs> and they'll let no. you in, but it's, it's, I wish, I wish. Only if <laughs> we'd be blessed. Um, Neil, I'd really love to know, we ask all of our guests this, um, and we get some very different questions, uh, some very broad, some very niche on this and to be quite frank, it's what gets on your nerves, what really pisses you off in your field, to say the least, you know, it can be a myth, it can be something you want to debunk, stereotypes, no filter here, you can just go for it. Uh, I think something very specific, actually. Uh, love it, love it. Well, well, no, specific in my head, it's, it's actually quite general. <laughs> um, certainty. Okay. okay. I don't like Never. certainty in addressing the past there, there's a certain yeah. armature of facts that that are there that's very important i'm not arguing like some sort of relative view of of the past but i i get very nervous when academics are very very sure of their interpretations yeah. and i think the the willingness to be wrong and to accept that you might be mm. wrong and being open to changing your mind is especially when you work in a period like the viking age where there's so much we don't know yeah I think is really important. So certainty that that oh, annoys me. Great answer. Yeah, it I really like that is. answer as well. Because it is, it, and it, it's the sense of um, kind of egotism as well. And like we just said about these professors that have been in positions for ages, and then they get they kind of tell younger students, make sure you're really certain in your work. And I understand that when you're trying to pass a degree and you need to like hammer an argument home to get a mark. But that's something that then students often take later in life is that they think that they have to be unflinching on their position they have to go with an argument and they have to run with it like they have to choose the hill to die on and just go with it for their whole academic career and as you say that's just not the case like you don't have to be certain on everything there's always going to be new evidence that pops up and your receptiveness in that sense is what makes you a good historian so finally what has been the best moment of your career so far uh blimey um <laughs> I'm sure I... there have been many I don't know really there's there's lots of like, individual literally moments but um yeah. you asked about how I sort of got from being a teenager interested in archaeology to to my job and so on about about five years ago I, I was very fortunate to get a, a very large research grant from the Swedish Research Council I mean, a lot it's like millions of dollars and and uh, mm. and the the Swedish Research Council are very Swedish they're very sort of modest and they don't actually tell you you've got this grant <laughs> I mean you can't imagine they would but they don't um you they they sort of release the results on a website at a certain day so you just yeah. check the website with everyone else and I did this very early in the morning on on the day when they were releasing these results and 
I was the only person in the office and and there was it's just a it's, there's not many of these grants so it was just a very short list and my name was on it and I I sort of refreshed quite a few times and just sort of stared at this thing oh my god and and I knew this was going to change my professional life actually and, yeah. and, and th these grants are a sort of reasonably big deal in Sweden so you get like media attention and things and I knew that was yeah. that was coming in the rest of the day that this was going to be a mad day and probably a mad several weeks but just for those the first half hour I was the only person yeah. here and I was the only person who knew about it and I just sort of oh, sit and think about it moment. but but that's kind of a well you've you've, you've heard about imposter syndrome I don't yeah. know if you ever feel this but uh, but yes. it, it is a kind of confirmation that at least somebody doesn't think I'm a complete idiot yeah. you know? so that was nice so, um Aww. but but yeah I think that that was a Oh, I mean, yes. congratulations, I really, yeah, I think that was five amazing. years ago, but yeah. really that, what an impressive feat in your career. Yeah. Like, oh, I, I feel proud, like hearing it, yeah. like, it's really nice to hear, I really yeah. am. It's very uplifting, I think that's one of the best things about having such accomplished guests on, accomplished guests on here, is because you get to... It is inspirational. It gives you a bit of motivation. Really what you're doing can actually. I could have told you it. about all the sort of you know 55 grants that I didn't get and just sort of. Think, um, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, no, that's not that, that is life, isn't it? And look at the one you did get was incredible. Yeah. So yeah. exactly, brilliant. <laughs> so we'll wrap up now with our. We've got a bit of a quick fire round that we like to do now. So I'm just gonna give you some questions, and I just want your immediate answer. It doesn't have to be in the field of Viking history. Just anything. You ready? Okay. Yep. <laughs> okay, who's your favourite figure in all of history? I think I'd say Shakespeare. I know it's Ooh, I know it's kind nice. of kind of uh, no. kind of dull, but um, no, not all. the person to yet. the past to who speaks today, yeah, uh, in a very interesting way, and the fact that you've got an entire sort of entire research field investigating yeah. one person's mind <laughs> from the 1500s—that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, a legacy of a worthy guy. Yeah. So you flip that on its head now. Who's your least favourite figure in all of history? Yeah, I think that's harder because history gives you such a sort of menu of monsters to choose from, all the sort of mass murderers <laughs> and lunatics and so on. And I guess it. Uh, I mean, you can probably guess the most popular answer we get. Yeah, I, I, it's. It, I'm probably going nearly there. I, I, Nazis are a bit of a sort of uh, yeah. a bit of a obvious one there, but I think I'd probably say Goebbels actually, Joseph Goebbels, oh, the, the propagandist, nice. he really nice. was a truly yeah. despicable human being yeah. um, like a sort of master of lies yeah, I, I, yeah, uh, definitely. yeah we'll go Very with him devious. yeah, I think that's a good idea yeah, nice. good. We haven't, yeah, normally get Hitler, so it's interesting to hear another note to be in there yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you were, and now this is a nice one, back to the nice questions, if you were to get in a car and go on a road trip with three people, dead or alive any period of history, who would you have in your car? Um, well, for a start, one of them would have to be able to drive because I've never learned. So, um, <laughs> well, you know, some people really think of the practical, and some people take this as like we'd have a driver and we'd just be sat in the back. Okay, the chauffeur. Like, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll have a chauffeur then. Yeah, you've got a um, You've got a van. Good, good. Okay, a van, right? Good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if assuming that you will we'll ignore the kind of language barriers and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's cool. It's you a magical van. Yeah, yeah. Okay, magical <laughs> van, right? Um, I. A bit of a Viking. There's a um, a woman called Gudrid who was um, one of the first European women to get to North America. She had an amazing life. She was married to Thorfinn Karlsefni, one of the captains of the the Norse ships that went to the New World, awesome. and she uh, she lived across a whole sort of spectrum of identities and and she she started off as a as a pagan and became a Christian and she 
new magic and that she ends up as a nun actually and she so she met native americans and then she uh, she later in life made a pilgrimage to rome she probably met the pope this yeah. and, and this is sort of round about the turn of the first millennium and at that time she's probably literally the most traveled woman in the world and i think she'd be a really interesting person to talk to so. yeah that would so be she's in the car. Some great stories okay and so then, she's in the and band then, um joseph conrad the, the novelist nice. um, it's a different perspective on empire i'd, I'd yeah. like to meet him um and i mentioned a shakespeare a very well traveled woman as well that yeah might be yeah nice. uh, there are lots of stories because you want to talk when you're in the yeah band. definitely and uh i mentioned shakespeare but um his wife anne hathaway mm. she's a person we don't know very much about but i, I right. think she was probably a very interesting person i'd like to talk to her so so Tell you all of William's Those... terrible habits. But yeah, you're yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to be in the back seat of that van. That sounds so cool. Yeah, yeah. it sounds cool. Wait, you can be the driver. Yeah, I'll be Curi- the driver. I love driving. <laughs> there we go. I'll be, the, I'll be the chauffeur. Happy with it. <laughs> there is one more question. Um, that's if you could go back in time for one day, at any point, where would you go to? Uh, by definition for this, for what I've got in mind, I, I wouldn't. I can't quote a day or even a year, but I'd like to okay. find out if the Trojan War was real. Oh, that's so to oh, go that's back and, and, and talk to, to go somewhere where you might meet, I don't know, yeah. Agamemnon and Helen and Achilles and all of those. Have a look. That's what I'd like to do. That would yeah, be awesome. Cool. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> God, great. But I'm, I'm still obsessed with your car a little bit. That's like, that's, I think that's one of might be at the top with one of the best like magic yeah. road trips we've had on here. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming and talking to us today. This has yeah, been so much fun. Pleasure. I love hearing oh, about cool. biking. Go buy the book, everyone. Yeah, and got it, Neil, where can we find you? Social media and stuff if people want to have a look more into you and keep following. Sadly, well, not sadly for me. I, I'm I am so not on social media. Uh, yeah, if the, the, I've I've got a university web page, okay. but yeah, yeah just, just all right, Neil. We've got all your book. promo for buy you. We've got yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> we've got this don't worry and that was neil price talking about his book the children of ash and elm next week we are joined by Stuart reed to talk about his book sheriff Mer, 1715 really you've got a lot of unresolved issues not as much about the union itself but within scotland it's all about solutions to that those issues do you go right or left if you put in modern terms without applying particular labels if you've got the Tory party on one side and the Labour party on the other yeah it's not a question of this queen or that queen Mm. it's which solution is going to bring about the outcome for those who support this party or the other party in the meantime do make sure that you follow us, like and retweet us on Twitter at Kaki Malaki. And I'm Olivia Smith. And I'm Phoebe Stiles. This is Kaki Malaki signing off.